Welcome in to the Keon Sports Podcast. I am Vince McKee alongside with my co-host tonight and now producer of the show because he is the man who booked the guest, Mike Rogers. What's going on, Mike? Not a whole lot. I'm very excited um, to be here tonight doing this interview as uh, we wait for Showtime Sean Porter to call in. Just really excited for this one. Um, high school uh, classmate of mine, so it uh, means a little bit more. So a little history on the subject. Mike went to Stowe High School, correct? Yes. Graduate what year? Uh, 2008. 2008. Okay. Yes. Um, so funny story. First time you met uh, Sean Showtime Porter, you didn't realize he was on the football team, huh? No. I So what I realized he was on the football team, but I didn't realize what class he was in. Um, you know, we were all in the weight room. We had, you know, freshman team, JV, varsity, all together for the, you know, beginning of the workouts. And um, he comes up to me. And he goes, hey, um, can you show me where the coach is? I'm like, oh, yeah, first coach is right there. And he looks at me. He's like, um, I'm a junior. I'm on varsity. I'm like, oh, my bad, man. <laughs> the coach is over there. And then someone comes up to me. He's like, man, do you know who that is? I'm like, no, I have no idea. He's like, that's Sean Porter, man. He's a boxer. I'm like, oh, great. So I just installed the man. Now he's going to knock me out. It's <laughs> my welcome to high school moment right there. That's good stuff, man. Absolutely. So I got to ask you, you know, in, in my life I've been lucky – Numerous people I've met that have either gone on to be like national celebrities or at least, you know, national American wise, American sports world, or, um, you know, I've, I've met people who already are in that industry. But for you, when you consider, you know, Sean Showtime Porter to be a friend, someone you knew growing up in high school, would you say he's probably the most famous person that you know that you actually know to the point where, let's say, you were walking down the street? that person was walking the other way that you would stop and talk with that person to the point where it wasn't like you, you as a fan or something trying to get an interview, but just knowing the person. Yeah. It's weird because, um, you know, Sean and I weren't like really close in high school, but Sean was just so nice and friendly to everybody. So it cut my brother actually said this last night when I was telling him about the interviews, like it, it kind of felt like Sean was friends with everybody, even if you weren't that close with him, but definitely, um, definitely the most famous person that I know if, that I'd see walking down the street. That's, that's what's pretty cool. Yeah, and what's awesome, he's actually would stop and talk to anybody too. He's that great of a guy. Nice to know. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I actually interviewed him for a book I wrote in 2014. It actually came out in 15 called Ohio Warriors. And for all you boxing fans out there, boxing and MMA both, go ahead check that out. It's called Ohio Warriors. It's a story of the top fighters that come out of Ohio, whether it was MMA amateur wrestling, collegiate wrestling, or boxing. And uh, he, he was in that, actually the first person I interviewed for that book, and he is chapter one, as it went by city. And he was, we actually categorized him um, as Akron, as it kind of went by the bigger cities, you know. So if you live close to Akron, you were classified as Akron. But yeah, I mean, it was really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it's weird too, because like now, like, not to sound like a big shot, because I'm not. But like, if you were to go through my phone, and see the names like Kenny Lofton and Jim Tomey and the different players and and uh, Bill Belichick and stuff. It's cool that I've spoken with all those guys, but on a, on a fact of like knowing somebody and then watching them get up in the system, you know, for me, like a couple guys, one, Vic Trevolante, I knew him from the 80s, we became friends, and then he ended up going um, to uh, NXT, mm -hmm. had a stint on Raw, and now I don't, I'm not sure what he's doing, he's still working for the WWE. And then another guy, funny enough, I'm friends with his mom, both of his sisters, and I saw his first two matches. He wrestles for AEW now. His name is Michael Wardlow, and they call him Wardlow. I know him as Mike. And the dude's a giant. Like, he's the size of Goldberg. So, 
Um, yeah, I gotta say, like off the top of my head, I guess both my things would be wrestlers. <laughs> I didn't know Nick Nemeth. I went to right. school with Nick, but like we didn't like know each other. Um, so yeah, that's all I can think of, really. Yeah, um, so I'm, well, I know a couple. I've played against or have at least you know come in contact with a few guys on a regular basis. Um, so Glen Oak, I played summer basketball against them still versus Glen Oak and Costa Kufus and CJ McCollum were on the same team. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And um it was it was funny too because Costa was a really cool dude and um I remember this was like within like a two to three possession um time frame where Costa came down, one hand slammed on one of my friends and then like the next possession possession after that came down and two hand dunked on my other friend. And my friend's just laying on the ground like man. Just walks up over to him, just lifts him up off the ground, slaps on the button, and runs down the court. <laughs> it's like, oh man, well, that's crazy. But um, yeah, besides those three guys, uh, th- yeah, that's probably it. And it's funny now because, like, in the industry, um, there's people who I definitely consider like a friend, like an actual friend. You know, Kenny Road is one of them for sure. Uh, all right, guys, looks like our hotline is ringing right now. Hello. Hello. Is this Mike? Yeah, Sean. How are you doing? We are actually live right now, man. Perfect. What's up, dude? How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Doing very well. Um, I think the last time I actually saw you um, might have been the still 4th of July parade. Uh, you, you saw me walk and uh, stopped by for about five minutes, uh, talked for about five minutes, and um, kept, it, kept it going. But it was uh, nice catching up with you. I'm glad you were able to um, call in tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Carson had uh he, he asked if i would do the interview with you and um at first i was like well what's mike got going on and i was like well shit it doesn't matter it's mike <laughs> let me get online with him so no problem at all i appreciate it and um yeah. you know i have on uh, my co-host here too vince mckee you actually um got interviewed by him for a book i don't know if you remember or not he got can you say it again he, he interviewed me before yes for a book for a book? Yes. Oh, yeah. What? Yes. That was it, so long ago. It was, champ. I was That was two kids ago for me. How are you doing? This is uh, oh, Vince man. McKee with Keon Sports. And, uh, yeah, you were actually the first uh, pro boxer I ever interviewed back in yeah. t- 2014. The book's called Ohio Warriors. And you are yeah. the first, you are the first chapter in that book. So I can't, can't, can't I, I want to I want a copy of that. That was so long ago. Sweet, I'll send you one. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure you get my address and everything, and I would love to to have a have that book. Sounds good. Sounds good. We're not going to take up a, uh, a ton of your time today. Want to thank you for being on. Want to also let yeah. you know that Keon Sports, we are actually the leader in uh, broadcasting of boxing here in Northeast Ohio. We go ahead. We do play by play and color for all the big boxing shows. So we take boxing and uh, combat sports of all kinds very seriously here. So it is our honor and our pleasure oh, to have you on the show, man. I'm going to let Mike start off the interview, and we're going to we're going to lobby back and forth every two questions. So thank you so much. Sounds good to me. Let's do it. All right. All right. So, Sean, I know you have a special bond with your dad, but can you kind of put that into words and explain how um, that bond, what that bond means to you, and um, how it works with him managing you as well? Yeah, um, you know, it's just amazing. Uh, and I don't know if you guys know, but I'm a Christian. So I do uh, give all praise to God for uh, everything that I have. 
Uh, one thing that, that I have that not very many fighters in the boxing game have uh, or just, you know, anyone, I guess, to a, to, to a degree have is someone that can motivate, inspire, teach, uh, pull the best out of, uh, and, and I mean, and, and the list just goes off from there. Uh, I have something in my team that no one else has in the sport of boxing. And that's, you know, one thing that, that I have that no one else has is just love. I think our love and our camaraderie and our trust in one another is very, very rare. I think we all have a love for uh, competition and a love for winning, a love for uh, being successful. And I think that that's just a rare commodity that, that, my, that I have that's something that my team kind of we we kind of like you guys just said we lob that love around and we keep it around everywhere we go um you know again contributing most of that to my dad because my dad has figured out just about every piece of the puzzle he's he's adding he's subtracting years over over time and he's helped me get to a point where you know i can say not only am i a world champion but a two-time world champion and now am i not only am I on the, on the top of the sport from a competitive standpoint, but I'm also on the top of the sport from a, uh, a intellectual and, and um, broadcasting standpoint as well. And, uh, you know, it's something that's just very, very rare. And that's, that's just really is God giving me a father who, who knows all the right moves to make and, and obviously instilling me and in, in me the heart and mind to be able to trust and, and rely on and, and love my dad uh, to the fullest. That's awesome. Um, now, Sean, obviously, you know, Ohio born and raised. Um, I see you constantly showing support to Northeast Ohio, whether it be the sports teams or just shouting out someone that you want to um, support uh, personally. Just how important is Northeast Ohio to you? You know what? Northeast Ohio is extremely important to me. I think that for me, honestly, the, the, the phrase is very, very real they say there's no place like home and i honestly have been all over the world i've been living out of uh northeast ohio for about 10 years and still when i come home i, I look around the city and i say this is the most beautiful place and most people may think that i'm crazy to think that but that's just really how i feel i have this genuine love for this for the the northeast ohio area that i'm from and i think the people are very very special and i think what we have in sports has really made me who i am in terms of being a competitor and an athlete and i think that we all share that common love and, and, and for sports and i think that that's what really makes uh northeast ohio special you know sean i, I mentioned before here uh with keon sports we cover a lot of amateur boxing. That's kind of where we made our name. We got 85% of our followers right off the bat from covering boxing. We, it exploded. And, you know, one of the biggest things we covered last year and announced was the Golden Gloves. So I, I wanted to ask you, and we also did the Junior Olympics right after that, uh, the trials, which is amazing, amazing stuff. So I wanted, wow. I wanted to ask you, though, you know, how much for you personally did competing in the 2007 Golden Gloves as well as the Pan Am Games, get you ready for a career as a pro. How much does that help? Uh, a lot. Um, the, let's see. I think I won the, the Cleveland Golden Gloves in 2005.
2005, 2006, and 2007. Yes, sir. And uh, I think those were the years that I won the Cleveland Golden Gloves. I may have even won them in 2004. Uh, I'm one of the few uh, amateur boxers from Northeast Ohio, from Cleveland, to go as far as I've gone um, and, and now being a pro. And, and being a world champion, I'm, I'm one of the few uh, North, Northeast Ohio uh, boxers to do that. We have another fighter coming up. Um, uh, Conwell is his last name. I uh, can't think of his first name. Uh, but he he also won. Say it again. No, uh, nothing at all. I didn't say a word. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's also been able to do it. But, you know, when you are a young fighter, especially in the box, in the professional ranks, all of the amateur experience that you have makes you gets you prepared for the professional ranks. There's some things you're gonna go up against in the professional ranks that you never you can't even dream of. Someone can write it down and tell it to you and you still won't understand it. Whether it's the business side of it, whether it's just the weigh in with something we do the, the day before a fight, that's something that's just not done in amateur boxing. I mean there's just so many ins and outs. That, that go into professional boxing that you don't have as the amateur. But one thing you do get from being an amateur fighter, especially at the at the top level, is you get the understanding of what it means to fight against fighters from other countries, fighters from other cities, other number one guys, number two guys, and you and you develop a, a, a level of comfort in being in the ring against those guys. Now you get into the professional ranks, and you already have this level of comfort when you're up against, you know, being being in front of five thousand people, whereas in an amateur fight, you, you there may there may be possibly five hundred people in the stands, you know. So I think the amateur ranks get you ready for a great deal that you're gonna have to, that you're gonna be up against in the professional ranks. And I know for myself, fighting at the at the Cleveland Golden Gloves definitely has has helped me in, in my in my journey as being a, a professional boxer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and sees it as hell too. As, as I watch the guys here, uh, you know, locally, you know how hard they work. What I, what I believe it does is it sets the tone for how hard they're going to have to work as a pro. You know, the nutrition behind it, the dieting, the training, the sparring. There's there's so much that goes into it. Um, you know, that's why they call it the sweet science. You just can't go out there and throw punchers. There's there's a ton ton behind it. You know, on that level for you as well, though. You know, you turn pro. And, you know, you won your first 13 fights, and, and beyond that, we'll get to that in a little bit. But, you know, in your 13th fight, uh, you go ahead and you take on Russell Jordan for the WBO NABO junior middleweight title. You know, how did it feel, you know, two things here. Number one, to taste championship gold in only your 13th professional fight to become a champion. And number two, to do it in front of your hometown crowd there in Cleveland at the Wolstein Center. I'll be honest, man. I, I honestly ranked that fight as one of my top two worst performances as a professional boxer. It was my first time fighting at home. All of my friends and family were going to be there. And I was not focused on the fight. I was focused on everything that was going to happen after the fight. And it was a big learning experience for me, too, because I was able to recognize that if I don't have my mind on what I'm doing, then even the worst guy, in boxing has an opportunity to beat me because I'm not focused. And I think even though I was able to win that fight a lot, I did a lot very good in that fight, but I did a lot bad as well. I think it was a learning experience for me. And I, I really, I've 
never return to that moment of looking past a fight or past a fighter just to get to the the extra things that boxing can bring you. I, I don't look to another championship fight. I don't look past one fighter to get to another fighter, anything. And that was a big learning experience for me. So even though I was able to win that fight, I definitely learned a lot in that fight and was very, and even at this point now, very appreciative of having that fight and able to experience that moment because it was something that I was able to take care of in 13 fights in, opposed to being, you know, 25 fights in or, you know, up in my first world championship title and going up against something like that so it was definitely a huge learning curve for me and i'm very appreciative that that happened when it did no and and sean let me ask you this too this is not a question i had written down but just something that you know again i've been around the sport now for about 10 years and i see a lot of things go on i have to ask you in that situation you know how much pressure is on you to sell tickets to to have sponsorships to be the face of that show obviously a lot on your shoulders you know being the hometown guy there there's a lot of you know and i'll just go ahead and say it, it's a podcast there's a lot of bs that goes on behind the scenes where the, where the fighters they want their they want their training and their training to be the only thing they have to focus on but yeah. infor- unfortunately coming up the ranks it, that's not always the case they get shit put on their shoulders all the time about selling tickets selling sponsorships how much of yeah. that gets in the way you know what? And I'll be this perfect. This is a perfect question, I, I, and I'll show you how it all connects. Back then, uh, when I when I did that fight in Cleveland, people, promoters, everyone was worried that we wouldn't be able to sell a fight in Cleveland. That people wouldn't come out. Now my my mind turns from not just training for my fight, but how many tickets are going to be sold? How many people are actually going to be there? Is it going to look good on TV? Am I going to be able to fight in front of X amount of people? I had a lot of that on my mind. No one really put that pressure on me, but it was pressure on me that I put on myself to be able to sell a fight that no one even expected me to sell, but it was just the talk. So I had to deal with that. That fight played out the way that it played out. But then you, you fast forward years and years later, and I'm going up against Errol Spence, and everyone wants to know if we're going to be able to sell a pay-per-view, if we're, be, if we're going to be able to sell out the Staples Center, if, we're going to, if this fight is going to be as big as everyone expects it and wants it to be from a fan standpoint. And at that point, I said, this fight's going to sell, and whatever I need to do to sell this fight, I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to be worried about it. I don't care. At the end of the day, I'm going to say what needs to be said, and everything that I've done to this point is going to be able to sell this fight. And sure enough, I didn't have my mind focused on selling the fight, but 10,000 people showed up at the Staples Center, and as far as I know, we we had over uh, over 500,000 sales on, on pay-per-view, which is a great number to have, especially when you got a guy like myself and Errol Spence getting in the ring. So that, again, when, when I said that fight against Russell Jordan was a learning experience for me, it very much in so many ways was a learning experience. It helped me get ready for this pay-per-view fight that I had so many years later that I didn't even know was going to happen. But again, a lot of learning experiences. The one thing that I would tell fighters out there is at some point, you got to be able to let your, your actions speak for themselves and not be worried about selling tickets and not be worried about who's going to be in the, in the stands because at the end of the day, what you do in the ring is what's going to matter the most. Absolutely. Great answer. And I thank you for answering that question again, because I know a lot of fighters might have dodged that. You didn't dodge it. And I thank you for that. You got it. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, Sean. So 
you knocked out Hector Munez to improve the 17-0, picking up the NABF title in the process. What was the key to your to your success at that point in your career? You know what? At that point in my career, we were still climbing the ladder. Uh, we were still just working our way and trying to stay undefeated, trying to look good, fight after fight, and waiting on the title shot. Uh, that specific fight was really was just a, 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 a cakewalk for me. Uh, I actually got up against a guy who wasn't ready for the fight, and I knocked him out, I believe, in the very first round. Uh, so that that one wasn't a big fight for me in terms of the competition, but still, you know, being able to get in the ring, fight for a title, and and feel that kind of energy and and that kind of excitement at that point in my career was perfect for me. So a follow up to that real fast, Sean. Do you find now you said that um, he wasn't really ready for the fight? Do you take that? Kind of as a sign of disrespect, being I mean, absolutely. I know how competitive you are. Obviously, you were a really good football player in high school. Um, did a lot of different things, but I know how competitive you are. So that had to have felt like um, a, like a, just a disrespectful move on his behalf. It seems like he didn't really take you that serious. I took it very personal. Uh, well, not personal. I took it as a sign of disrespect. Uh, I, I actually was more so mad at my promoters for putting him in the ring with me than I was for him not being ready for the fight. But I, again, I understand the business, and I understood the business at that point enough to understand that he wasn't ready for the fight. Uh, I think he was overweight at the weigh-in, and we had a we had a decision to either fight or not fight him because he was overweight. I said, let's get in the ring. Let's do it anyway. And I think we were walking out of the ring in about a minute, minute and a half after the fight had began. And I, I, I did. I took it very disrespectful. And I was like, who's next? <laughs> <laughs> he was ready to go. That's awesome. All right, Sean. So you're 24-0-1 at this point, holding multiple titles. You tasted defeat for the first time in your career with a majority decision loss to Cal Brooks. How tough was that? And do you feel you won the fight? And what was the most important thing you learned after that loss? Big, big, big. That is the worst fight of my career. And a lot of uh, experiences and learning uh, lessons for me through that fight. Uh, so that's the number one <laughs> worst fight that I've ever had. And I've really only had two. The other one was the fight with Russell Jordan. And I, they say you learn a lot in a loss. And you really do. Because even though I beat Russell Jordan, I still learned a lot from that fight. But the, what I learned from the fight against uh, Kell Brook was that um, you, you got to be able to slow down. You got to be able to think in the ring. And you're not going to be able to always outmuscle everyone. You're not going to always be faster or, or quicker or, or, or better than someone. Usually it's something small there that's going to make the difference. And I was able to recognize that. In that fight, I was rushing, and I and I and I didn't play my hand very well in that fight. I did think that I won the fight, but you know when I didn't perform the best role that I could, and still left a, a very bad taste in my mouth. And again, I've never returned to that position of being of rushing myself in the fight, of not being able to think and just relying on one weapon. You know now now I understand that I have. 10 to 15, 20 weapons that I can use in the ring. And depending on who I'm up against and what they're doing, depends on what weapons I'm going to have to pull out. So I've learned a lot 
in that loss. Another thing I learned was to be patient. Things are not going to always go your way. And in those moments, you got to be patient and be willing to, you know, answer that call, that bell the next time that it, that it, it, it rings and uh, not to give up. You know, that's another thing. I, I think a lot of people out there, they, they may go through an experience that they don't understand in the moment. And they're not, they're not willing to get up again and answer that next bell. They want to give up. And uh, my dad didn't allow me to give up. I didn't allow me to give up. And, you know, here we are, uh, two championships later. You know, Sean, um, you know, we're going we're gonna to get to this question at the end of the interview. But I did I did want to throw in, you know, I kind of felt like you, you won the fight in September against Errol Spence Jr. Um, you know, if you, if you did, if it did go your way, I feel like that would have been the biggest win of your career. But as it stands – Many fans and select media members say that the biggest win of your career came against Adrian Broner, something, you know, which was unbelievably impressive. You came out there that night. You won convincingly by unanimous decision against, again, you know, Adrian Broner at that point, probably the biggest name that you had defeated. You know, what went right that night and how good did it feel to get that win on that big of a stage? Because that really was for a lot of, you know, casual boxing fans that that might have been the first time they saw you on, on the grand stage like that. That was a big win. Yeah, I think if you if you want to see a fighter get in the ring and be 100% on the top of his game at the opening bell, that's the fight that you watch. Uh, I came to the ring very comfortable, very confident, and ready to, to follow the game plan. And the game plan worked to a team from the first round to the last round. Uh, we had one small hiccup in the last round, and that just was a moment of me losing focus. But uh, for a majority of that fight, you know, going up against someone who was very marketable, uh, very successful, and really was in a, in a lot of ways uh, more uh, more uh, more popular than I was at that point in, in in our careers. For me to get in the ring and do everything that I did against him, I think I surprised a lot of people. And the people that weren't surprised, they were like, they were even very pleased. Even though they weren't surprised, they were very pleased that I was able to do the things that I was able to do against um, against Adrian Bronner. Uh, and, and like I said, very much so on top of my game from the opening bell, a feeling that uh, I've only felt a few times in a few different fights, and that was definitely one of my best performances. Yeah, I mean, I know myself and a lot of boxing fans were, were definitely happy that you shot him up. You know, you went out there and you closed his mouth, so <laughs> that, that was definitely great. Um you know, moving on, though, you know, and thank you again for joining us. We have a few questions left, and we thank you very much for taking this time today here with Keith Of course. Um, after a very close loss to Keith Thurman by narrow decision, you you rattled off four straight impressive wins. What was the key to your success to bounce back from that tough Thurman loss and rattle off four straight? Mentally, where did you have to put yourself to get right back on track? i tell you what, the fight with Keith Thurman was a little different. Uh, he and I were friends, had been, we're still friends. Uh, even though he won't return my text messages, which is crazy. <laughs> uh, um, but, but at that point in time, he was the first fighter that I'd been up against who I was actually friends with, uh, dating all the way back to the amateur program. And so for me, that fight was 100% competition. It had nothing to do with uh, with any – it wasn't anything personal. It, it, it was 100% uh, competition for me and it was a, a lot of fun and a lot of joy being in the ring 
with with uh, Keith Thurman. When my name wasn't wasn't announced as the winner, of course it was disappointing. But I just I was I was disappointed that I didn't beat the kid. You know, I wasn't disappointed. It, it, it really wasn't hard for me to come back from that loss because I think it was just one hundred percent competition. And you know, as we all know, you win some, you lose some. And the sport of boxing, you never want to lose. But when you lose, looking as good as I did, it's hard to hang your head, you know. So uh, that fight was not hard for me to come back from. It was just a, a hundred, one hundred percent, a matter of me getting back on the track, uh, which is what we were told. You guys took a loss tonight. It was a great, a great uh, performance. Get back in there again and get back on track. And I think, like you said, uh, the next four fights were just a matter of me getting back to a title shot, which I was able to do. I still was full of confidence and still full of uh, a lot of energy uh, for everything I had to do. And, and, and uh, you know, up until uh, that next fight, it was just a matter of me, you know, staying focused and waiting on them to tell me I was going to be in another title fight. Awesome, Sean. Um so a lot of us here at Keon Sports and boxing fans around the world, we felt that you won your fight against Errol Spence Jr. this past September, um, but the judges took it from you. How frustrating is that when you put that much time and effort into training and you feel like you did come out victorious? You know, um, again, I, you know, I think at this point in my career, I think I want my fists to speak for themselves. I think I want my actions to speak for themselves. And I think uh, at this point, I want to be better every time I get in the ring. I think I've been able to show that. I think I've been able to show improvement. I think I've been able to show a different Showtime Sean Porter every time I get in the ring. And this fight with Daryl Spence, it became personal because he chose to uh, call me out for not being a skilled fighter. He chose to call me out for being a rough fighter and a dirty fighter. And, uh, you know, with this fight, I wanted to get in the ring and show him that I have more skill than him, more talent than he gave me credit for, and and that I could beat him without being dirty. And I think I showed that, you know, even though even though the judges didn't 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 look at the fight the way that I did, the way that my team and I think a lot of fans out there did. I think we left a very good taste in everyone's mouth. And I think everyone's looking forward to my fight and a rematch against Earl Spence. But I think more than that, people are looking forward to me getting in the ring again, which even in a loss. Is the, is the best outcome that you could ever have in a fight, is that people want to see you again and that they're hungry for you. And, 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 and with that being said, I think the mission is still accomplished even in a loss, that, you know, when people want to see me again, I don't feel like a loser. When people want uh, more of Showtime Sean Porter, it makes me feel like a winner. Well, Sean, obviously we all are looking forward to seeing you again. And that brings up um, the next question. What's next for Showtime, Sean Porter? Perhaps uh, Mikey Garcia? You know what? I don't think Mikey's going to be the fight for us, and especially with everything going on with this COVID. I think the number one thing is to get back in the ring. Um, unfortunately for me, even with the loss, a lot of people are afraid to get in the ring with me. I think not only did I expose Errol Spence and show some things that that you can do and be successful against Earl Spence. But I think I exposed myself in terms of how good I really am. 
I think right now a lot of fighters are afraid to get in the ring with me. I think they may even take the chance, understanding that they may win. But even with winning, they're going to get leave that ring a different kind of fighter. They're not going to be as successful as they are in, in most fights. I think that worries a lot of guys out there. So right now we're just waiting on somebody to say, okay, I'll fight Showtime Sean Porter. As far as when that's going to happen, hopefully it'll happen before the end of the summer. Uh, my understanding is that Fox wants to come back in July, August. So I look forward to being one of the first fighters to get back in the ring for Fox right around then. Hey, Sean, uh, one last question for you here. And, you know, this is something, too, as uh, someone who grew up, I'm 38 years old, and, you know, I grew up watching free boxing on TV on Saturdays, Wild World of, Wide World of Sports. Lately, over the last couple of years, boxing is starting to come back. The popularity is starting to go up a little bit. We saw a guy like Conor, Mc, Conor McGregor, you know, cross past there and try it. So it's on a lot more people's radars. What do you feel needs to continue to happen for boxing to regain the kind of popularity it did in the 90s? If you look back to the 90s of the heavyweight division with Holyfield and, and Tyson and Foreman and everything behind that, really the 80s too, 80s and 90s, boxing was the, was the biggest thing that there was. MMA came along. MMA really took a lot of fans away from boxing. I know you don't want to hear that, but it is the truth. What, what does boxing have to do and have to continue to do to get back on America's, the, the American sports fans' radar, especially at a time like this when, when fans are desperate for something? Yeah, first of all, let me say this. I don't take offense to you saying uh, that MMA has, has taken over uh, combat sports. I, I do I do uh, see what, what you mean by that, and I do agree. I think to a, to a, to a certain degree, uh, it has uh, overshadowed boxing. And I think that at this point right now, boxing is on the right track. I think you put boxing on network television, it puts more eyes on the sport. Not only that, the sport, I honestly feel, has a lot of talent to offer the world. I think it's just a matter of time before people uh, start to recognize the talent that's right there in boxing. And right now, uh, believe it or not, I think this COVID is working to boxing's advantage. And the reason I, I believe that is because this COVID has taken a lot of sports away from us. And these sports work, work through a season. Boxing does not work through a season. Boxing is year-round. So once the world is in the position to produce sports, put things back on TV, boxing can go at the drop of a dime. Uh, NBA may not be able to go simply because it's not their season. NFL, as, as we know, is not going to begin until August, uh, September. So right now, boxing is in the position to uh, really take over uh, sporting events right now because boxing is, is going to be able to get in the ring uh, very, very soon. And boxing is going to have all eyes on, on that sport because there won't be any other sports right now to compete with. So I think boxing is in a very good position. I think it's up, up to boxing to make the right decisions and, and put the right guys in the ring which is why I think uh, Fox has stated that they want me to get in the ring first because they know I'm, a, I'm a, an exciting fighter and they know that uh, they're going to get some great things from me and then out of the ring. And so we're looking forward to getting back in the ring sometime uh, this early summer. And so, you know, we all look forward to seeing you. Um, just wrap this up real fast. We really do appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us. Obviously, um, you know, things are a little slow right now. But, you know, it's still your time, so it's greatly appreciated. And, uh, you got it, my man. No problem. 
and I know I speak from not only um, people of Stowe, but um, Northeast Ohio as a whole, um, we are all proud of you, and we um, really do appreciate how you've um, blossomed in your career and continue to be a respectable and um, honorable role model for everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, hey, hey, Sean, thank you. And, uh, you know, I, I know I told you uh, six years ago at this point, which is nuts to think, but thanks again for being in that book. And uh, I'll make sure I get you a, a copy out in the next couple of weeks here, okay? Sounds great to me, my man. Thank you. Uh, you have a blessed day, and we'll talk to you soon. Take it easy, Sean. See you later, man. Thank you. Thank you. So that was Showtime Sean Porter, multi-time champion. And, Mike, I love the fact that he didn't dodge any of his losses. Um, you know, with the way it worked out, it looks like I had to ask him about a couple of those losses. <laughs> but hey, it's all right. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, though, like, he, he was so gracious with his time. You know, went about 35 minutes there with us. Just uh, just a humble guy. I mean, what, what did you get out of it? To me, it seems like he's got a lot left to go. Yeah, Sean, um, he's a highly motivated individual. Obviously, he still has that hunger to be great, to succeed. And, um, you know, the one thing that I got the most out of that interview, and it may sound a little weird saying, but it's just he's the same guy he was 15 years ago. He's humble. He's gracious. He's giving. And it it showed right there. I mean, obviously, like you said, he dodged no questions, answered everything, was really gracious. And I thought a lot of his answers, he took his time and was really insightful. So I really appreciated that. Oh, I agree, too. You know, you, with, with fighters, you never know what you're going to get. Sometimes they're a little too braggadocious. Other times they don't give you more than two words. You know, you feel like you're talking to Clover Lang, your guy there from <laughs> Rocky Three. But, yeah, I mean, you really, truly never know what you are going to get. So, 